Turret. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It appears that our president has tested positive again for COVID today. How many times has he tested positive for COVID? Point with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Well, the election is over now, or is it over? Are we still choosing? Maybe we are still choosing, or maybe we're finding out what our choices really are and what they were and what they're going to be. According to the Russian Times, an article came out with the headline, DeSantis scores win for the ages in U.S. midterms. Win for the ages. Really, that almost has a spiritual or religious connotone, uh, connotation, doesn't it? A win for the ages. Well, it was a terrific election there in Florida with uh, Ron DeSantis, the Florida's Republican governor, elected to another term, having defeated his Democratic opponent, Charlie Crist, by a double-digit margin, actually 19%, an amazing difference. And Mr. DeSantis gave a speech to those who had clearly voted, encouraged him along the way. And he said, thank you for honoring us for a win for the ages. A win for the ages. What does this election tell us about ourselves? That's what we want to look at here today on Viewpoint. Another article from CNN talks about the balance of power. The balance of power in Congress. Yes, what is the balance of power? What kind of power are we concerned about? Are we concerned primarily about political power? Are we concerned about moral power, ethical power, spiritual power? What kind of power are we most concerned about? One of the things that we learned from this particular election, I think, is that we don't much learn from history. You know, we've been told that those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. What is it that we're repeating and doomed to repeat again? Is there something that has happened to the United States of America and is continuing to happen, a trajectory that seems to be almost irreversible. We were told that there was going to be a, shall we say, a Republican sweep, a red wave that was going to sweep the Congress and sweep the Senate, and uh, it was going to be the most stupendous event in American history. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. 
how is it that all of the pundits and all of the prognosticators, political prophets, could have been so wrong? How is it that the polls have been so wrong? What is it that we don't know about ourselves that seems to be revealed in a different dimension in the polls and by the prognosticators and the political prophets? I believe that this election is telling us something about ourselves, telling us something about America that perhaps we do not want to see in the political mirror or in the spiritual mirror for that matter. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at that. We're also going to take a look at the matter of our heritage as it was related to our hope for the future. Because if hope is lost, then what do we have? What do we have but horror to look at? And we don't want to look at horror. We don't want to anticipate horror, even though we've been experiencing it. How is it that we could have continued to experience the horror or the consequences of decisions that were so bad and so horrific and so anti-God, so anti-God's purposes and plans, word, will, and ways, and yet we would continue to think somehow we're going to have change that we can believe in. Unfortunately, that's where we are. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to say some things. I'm going to say some things that perhaps you don't want to hear. But we need to hear. We need to see ourselves perhaps the way some other nations see us. The old phrase that I learned when I was a kid, would to God to give to see, would to God to give to give us to see ourselves as others see us. So how do others see the United States of America? Well, from the standpoint of many coming in across the southern border and in many other ways, we we know that somehow they see hope here. They see economic hope because by contrast with many other countries where there seems to be no hope, they see this as the nation of hope. Indeed, that's a reality. It's been that way for 400 years. It's been that way since 1607, when settlers landed at Berkeley 100 there uh, near Jamestown or at Jamestown, and they had the first Thanksgiving in 1607. It was that way in 1620, when the pilgrims landed there at Plymouth Rock, And they also had a thanksgiving, and they declared that their hope had been in Jesus Christ and in his government to be restored upon the earth here on these shores called the, now called the United States of America. At that time, it was just the New World, the Americas. Then in 1630 came another declaration This was a declaration, seven pages long, called A Model of Christian Charity, in which a godly attorney by the name of John Winthrop penned after landing, just before he landed, six boatloads of Puritans 
there at Massachusetts Bay. What an amazing document that is. A model of Christian charity. And if you'd like to know what that is, and if you'd like to be able to have that in your hands and be able to look at it regularly to remind yourself, you might want to get a copy of my book, Renewing the Soul of America. Renewing the Soul of America, one person at a time, beginning with you. It's an $18 book, yours for $15, on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. And I think you'll find it to be one of the most encouraging and hope-filled books concerning our country that you have encountered in a very long time. That's the reason why, I believe, 38 national Christian leaders endorsed the book. Because they felt that things that had been written were actually focused on failure and loss rather than a hope for the future. This book, Renewing the Soul of America, sets the stage and gives the direction for the hope for the future. And that hope is not based on politics. It's based upon a conviction that we need to restore the government of God in the earth, even if it be in a place called America. We'll be back after this. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we take a look at the aftermath of the election, even though there are some races that are yet to be declared or determined. Yet the reality is that things didn't happen the way the prognosticators, the polls, the political prophets thought they were going to take place. Representative Tom Emmer, a Republican, addressed an election night party with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy at the Western Washington Hotel in Washington uh, last evening. He's the chair of the National Republican Congressional Committee, but he declined to pinpoint specific reasons for why House Republicans did not perform as well as expected. Hmm. Refused or declined to pinpoint Specific reasons for GOP underperformance. Quite frankly, I don't think it's that difficult to figure out. You may be shocked at that statement. Ever said, we were going to deliver a new Republican majority at every point. Yes. But it didn't happen. Yes, indeed, it is true that Republicans probably will take over the House, the leadership in the House. It's still undecided who will end up taking dominion over the Senate. 
It's too close to call. But why is it too close to call? I want you to think about it for a moment. Let's go back over the last year and a half of campaigning. Let's think just about the main issues that were brought up. The conditions under which this election took place. The conditions under which this election took place were calculated almost. It's as if they were designed to accomplish a Republican sweep. I mean, a red wave. That's what everybody thought. Everybody thought that the terrible economy, rampant inflation, a stock market that had been dropping, 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 the chaos around the world, and on and on it goes. Everybody thought that those conditions were an absolute perfect environment for such a radical change in the electorate and in the voting that would produce a massive Republican wave. But it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? I wonder how many people are going to ask that question of themselves or the politicians among themselves. Actually, it is my opinion, my viewpoint, as your host here on this program, that if we think that it's just political answers that we can point to, we're wrong. We have a nation that's divided, so divided that we wonder if it can even stand. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, uh, a city divided against itself cannot stand, or a house divided against itself cannot stand. Well, that would be true also for a nation, wouldn't it? A nation divided against itself cannot stand. So, are we standing, or are we losing ground? I'm thinking of the image of standing on the seashore, and feeling the waves, you're barefoot there in the sand on the seashore, in the water. And as each successive wave comes up, it washes a little bit more sand out from under your feet. And so in reality, you're sinking. Now, you're still in the same place, but the reality is you're not advancing You're not accomplishing anything positive at that point other than maybe feeling good because you're feeling the water. But the reality is you're losing ground under your feet. Well, America's losing ground under her feet. We're losing ground very rapidly under our feet. We've heard so many reports about this for a very, very long period of time, and they were true reports. How is it that we can have such dramatic, uh, a dramatic environment that would seem to compel a certain kind of vote and reaction at the polls? And yet it didn't. I believe that it's because of the very innermost being of we the people. 
we have drifted so far away from any kind of biblical moorings, from any kind of fundamental understanding and wisdom and ability to perceive reality, that even the most ideal circumstances to effectuate a radical change in the electorate didn't happen. That's why it didn't happen. Because this is a revelation of where we are as a country. Think about it. We talk about red states, we talk about blue states. Yes, red states and blue states. But that doesn't really mean very much. It doesn't mean anything, actually. It's just a way of expressing the division in the country, a political division. But what underlies the political division? Underlying the political division is a massive spiritual division, a moral and spiritual division that is so great that even in the face of the most dramatic circumstances that otherwise would have driven a massive political change, didn't do that. Because the people are so addicted, so committed to their blind adherence to business-as-usual rejection of God's power, that they cannot comprehend even the issue of balance of power as it relates to the circumstances that are pressing upon their lives. They just can't relate to it or refuse to relate to it. So, for the most part, except in Florida and a few other places, people voted business as usual. How do you explain what happened in Pennsylvania? How do you explain what happened in Michigan? How do you explain what happened in so many of our states and regions around the country? How do you explain a Georgia Senate race in which a a man who wants to parade the word reverend in front of his name, but for whom it has been revealed that he was corrupt and a massive, massive hypocrite, and yet the people will vote for him calling... Uh, commanding, in fact, a runoff because they just can't embrace reality in front of their faces. It's unbelievable. This is not about allegiance to a political party per se. This is about a fundamental underlying spiritual condition that is rendering we the people as progressively reprobate, unable to reason, unable to think with any kind of relevance to reality. So we would be willing to sell our souls for the killing of our children to market abortion as a premier, the premier emphasis of one whole particular party in this election. 
and that people would glom onto it and continue to support that with no other real emphasis that mattered. Just kill our children. Protect the right to kill our children. We've already exterminated 65 million of them. Let's get rid of a whole bunch more so that we can live happily ever after and not be bothered with having to raise children. That's basically the message that the Democrat Party gave, led by Joe Biden. That was his message. Kill babies. That was the message of so many Republic, uh, Democratic governors and others in the Senate and so on. Kill the babies. I want you to think about the impact of that. I want you to think about the moral and spiritual consequences of that kind of thinking. This is not just a general discussion about abortion. This is about marketing abortion as a premier political purpose for election. Does it not appear to you that something is radically wrong? So for that reason, we want to take a look. We want to spin back away from uh, talk in a negative way about the election and about what it reveals about our hearts, our minds, and our hope for the future. There's no hope in a message of abortion. There's not one measure of hope in that message. So where is there a message of hope? Can we find it in our heritage? In my book, Renewing the Soul of America, chapter 17 is called Heritage and Hope. Heritage and Hope. And we know that America's heritage is a composite of many viewpoints and values and voices of our past that have actually defined the path uh, through a little over 400 years now of history. Yet it has also declared our promise and our purpose for the future. That is our heritage. So remembering our heritage is important. In fact, heritage becomes like an ever-accruing monument to the past to be remembered for the future. And that's one of the reasons, friends, why the movement over the past two years to tear down all of the statues around the country that help us to remember our heritage. They want to be torn down. Even the current election results are, in effect, a vote to tear down the memory of our heritage and to replace it with a completely different understanding and a completely different purpose led by the killing of our young. So if we fail to remember we risk falling into a historical trap that the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history, and therefore we become doomed to repeat. So clearly, then, our hope for the future hinges directly to our heritage. So that's what we want to focus on in the balance of the program here today on Viewpoint. Why should America be preserved? 
The very first book that I wrote was called Preserve Us a Nation. Preserve Us a Nation. But why should America be preserved? You see, that's the question that is not only valid, but it's necessary. And it demands more than just a simple patriotic answer. There has to be purpose and principle behind our patriotism. And if our founding purpose and principle are buried in the dustbin of history, forgotten or even denied by subsequent generations, even as we vote, do we have a continuing reason to exist? Do we have what is called a raison d'etre, a reason for being? Patrick Henry, that stirring voice you remember of the American Revolution, declared in a speech in the Virginia Convention back in 1775, he said, I know of no way of judging the future but by the past. The past not only judges the future but also gives purpose to the future. So what is our future? What is our future hope? Well, it's hinged in many respects upon our heritage. We don't want to lift up our heritage in an idolatrous way, but for the purpose of trying to get some sense of where we are and how far we have drifted so that we can correct course. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. As human beings, we have to remember we are all highly susceptible to cultural, moral, and spiritual drift. That is, if we're not tightly moored to fixed points in our memories. And that's what heritage is about. Heritage allows us to go back and look and refix our gaze so that we can refix our purpose, our direction, and thereby have purpose, a purposeful hope. That's what heritage does for us, or can do for us, unless we worship the heritage. Now, we ask the question, why should America be preserved? We ask the question, what is America? Well, for historic purposes, then, very quickly, America is twofold. Just as we all have one head but two eyes, so America has two primary windows through which her history and heritage can, I think, be most accurately viewed. And those two windows are political and spiritual or religious. 
So here's the question. Did the political existence of America proceed from the spiritual or did the spiritual issue out of the political? We have to answer those questions and try to answer them honestly and with integrity if we have any hope of identifying where our hope is, if any. And it lies in our heritage. So this matter of heritage is so critically important for our understanding. There have been those over the past, uh, I would say, going back to 1975, uh, where there were increasing efforts to try to bring us to a place of remembering our heritage. And we don't, we don't have time to go through all of the various people who wrote books. I'm thinking of Verna Hall, who back around 1960 began to write uh, some very serious books concerning uh, how to teach our children how to restore uh, the very heritage that we have. And uh, I think of a guy by the name of David Barton who devoted his life around the country to help us to remember our godly heritage. I think of Bill Federer who wrote the book America's God and Country, uh, a compendium of uh, thousands, I believe, of uh, quotations from uh, our founders and various others, uh, important persons and voices in our history to help us to remember, to remember. You will uh, probably remember that God told his people Israel, remember, remember, remember. He always kept telling them to remember. Even the psalmist, many of the psalms are remembering psalms. Remembering what God did. Remembering the mighty acts of God. Why? Why do we need to do that? Because if we do not do that, we will drift away from a holy purpose and lose our hope. And as the song that we used to sing says, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So when they wanted to make George Washington king because of his popularity, he refused to be so exalted, and the colonists changed their tune and said, we have no king but Jesus. Even Alexis de Tocqueville, that secular Frenchman in 1830, when he came over here, uh, from France, France couldn't establish a government, uh, was uh, without real hope, and he saw in America a, a kind of hope that was inspiring. So he came over to find out what it was that made America great. And after nine months of observations, he compiled his results in his book, Democracy in America. <clears throat> but the reality was, it wasn't about democracy. That's not where he found the hope. He found the hope in the church. He found the hope in the unifying power of the Bible that guided the life of the country so that when they made decisions, they were guided by something that bound them together in hope. And that was the Bible. It wasn't that everyone was a Christian, he said. It's that there was a universal binding together 
around the authority of the Bible. So the nation was a God-fearing nation. We are no longer a God-fearing nation, friends. And the reason we're not a God-fearing nation is because we've forgotten the God who made and preserved us a nation. We have forgotten the godly heritage and have done everything that we could to expunge it from our national memory so that we could become gods in our own right. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find a couple of passages where the Bible says, remove not the ancient landmarks. Remove not the ancient landmarks. Yet that is exactly what we've been doing. Over the past 75 years, uh, going back pretty much to 1947, with the Supreme Court decision to uh, declare that the separation of church and, and state, which was not even part of the Constitution, They just made it up out of whole cloth. So we go back that far and we see the so-called progressive movement that has not been progressive but regressive. Actually, it has been undermining the very reason why the nation was born, the very foundations. And so, as the scripture says again, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, that question now looms over our minds, our hearts, and our heads. If the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, in in other words, any hope is built upon, predicated upon, professing Christian people to be what they say they are. In other words, our hope has to be linked to a heritage in which the people actually seriously tried to live out that which they said they believed. Now, you may or may not be familiar with the Pulitzer Prize-winning author Pearl Buck. But she wrote a letter in the New York Times back in 1941. And here's what she said. When hope is taken away from a people, moral degeneration follows swiftly after. When the Supreme Court in 1947 declared, following the increasing spirit of the age to remove God from our common life as a people in America. They removed the very foundation of hope, and since that time, the moral degeneration set in very swiftly. In 1960, the Supreme Court removed prayer from the public schools, which had been common across our country. In 1962, they removed the Bible from the public school, which had been a foundation for American education from its get-go. In 1982, removed the Ten Commandments from the schoolhouse wall, the courthouse wall, and many churches removed them from their own walls. You see, the progressive taking away or stripping away of the foundations of hope have resulted in moral degeneration 
that has followed swiftly given history after. And now it's picking up steam. And the election tells us, this election tells us how deeply the people are committed to moral degeneration and in antipathy toward uh, the God who made and preserved us a nation. This, This election was not fundamentally about politics. Politics was the symptom. The foundational problem was moral and spiritual rebellion. So our heritage hangs in the balance and has all but disappeared in the memory and moral imagination of we the people. Can you see it? So we want to talk in the final segments of the program here about how to restore that. What can we do? When I wrote the book Renewing the Soul of America, the goal, which I felt was a a Holy Spirit-inspired goal, was to equip, to woo, to warn, and to present a vision for the people of the United States of America to be and become what God had called us to be and become. And that beginning did not happen in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence. It didn't happen with the Constitution. Those documents were predicated on the earlier documents which formed the real founding of the country by we the people. For instance, the pilgrims, in the name of God, amen. That was their short declaration and following that set forth their purpose, established it a landmark for us as a heritage. The model of Christian charity by John Winthrop, which is in the back, the appendix of my book, Renewing the Soul of America. The book is worth the price just for that seven-page appendix. I urge you to get a copy of the book if you want to be encouraged. If you want to have hope you can really believe in. It's an $18 book. Yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. What do you make of the fact that in the Capitol building are these words engraved? Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust right out of the Psalms. What do you make of that? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. 
But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Heritage and hope. Remove not the ancient landmarks. Elections reflect the spiritual condition, not just the political predilections of the people, but reflect the spiritual condition of the people that drive their political predilections. So what do you make of the fact that in the Supreme Court, the Ten Commandments are inscribed over the head of the Chief Justice. What do you make about that? And in the Library of Congress, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Right out of Micah chapter 6, 8. And how about the Lincoln Memorial? As was said 3,000 years ago, so it must still be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Or the Jefferson Memorial, can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed the conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Or in the congressional building, in God we trust? Whatever happened to us? Whatever happened to we, the people? The God who gave us liberty declared, remove not the ancient landmark, which your fathers have set. Removing the landmarks erases memory and memorials that declare fixed points in our moral imagination. But for two generations, three generations now, the ancient landmarks have been selectively removed from before our eyes and consequently from our minds and our hearts. So a minority of loud and angry men and women rebelling against the God who has made and preserved us a nation have co-opted our courts, usurped the ministry of legitimate government to defy the very laws of nature and of nature's God, to strip away all remembrance of God's rule, his reign, his authority among we the people. Can you see it? The consequences have been nothing short of devastating. And rebellion is the ultimate affront to the God who, in his wisdom, determined that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So rebellion against God's authority by removing these ancient landmarks has led to rot in America's homes and riot in our streets. Because these ancient landmarks are a summary expression of our heritage, American people, removal of the landmarks, both actually and figuratively, erases our true heritage. So as has gone our heritage, so is going our hope. So we have to ask ourselves, friends, here on the eve of the election, if the landmarks are removed, Can they be restored, and if so, how, and what part will I play in their restoration? That's the question. What must I do? And it's not about an election. Elections are important. We must vote, and we need to vote 
according to the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord. That is our fundamental mandate for all voting. If you're a professing, a professing Christian, that must be your ultimate mandate. Your ultimate mandate is also expressed by Jesus' words. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the other things that you're hoping for will be added unto you. But those ancient landmarks have been that have formerly guided us to higher ground are being stripped thread by thread from our national wardrobe. It's unbelievable. I have watched this happen since my birth in 1945. Bill Clinton perhaps put it in the most succinct terms. And I want to remind you of what he said in 1997. I've repeated this so many times here on the air, but in 1997, William Jefferson Clinton, the one who carried the big black Bible around for photo ops, you know, he went to Southern California knowingly and intentionally to address a known homosexual gathering. No president had ever done such a thing in America. And here's what he said to that gathering. We are redefining, in practical terms, the immutable ideals that have guided us from the beginning. Now let's let's break that apart just a little bit. He said, we are redefining. In other words, we're changing our heritage. We're changing the belief system, the fundamentals of our heritage in very practical terms. In other words, on the ground, we're making decisions to change, not just in theory, but in reality, the immutable or unchangeable ideals that have guided us from the very beginning. He admitted the ideals that had guided us from the beginning. What ideals was he talking about? The word, will, and ways of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The ways of the Lord. The Bible that had bound us together. That Alexis de Tocqueville admitted was the number one thing that he noticed about the country. It wasn't about democracy. It was about the unifying power of of the word, will, and ways of God among the people. We, the people, were bound not by democracy, but by the hope of salvation. Bill Clinton went on record to challenge God to do anything about it. He said, we're going to change it all. On the ground, in practical terms, we're going to change the unchangeable ideals that have guided us from the beginning. Talk about a statement of arrogance and rebellion. And that's exactly what his party has been doing ever since. That, in many respects, is what this last election has been about. It has not been about democracy. It's been about whether or not 
the word, will, and ways of God through his word will be and continue to be the foundation of our country and the binding glue that gives us hope for the future through our heritage. On the gallery wall here in our office is a gorgeous representation, antique representation of George Washington's prayer for America, expressed by our founding president in 1789 in his inaugural address. He said, The propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. He told us right there. So the handwriting was on the wall. The unraveling of our country was on the wall. So... A book came out in 1995 called The Spirit of, in the Spirit of 76. And on the front cover, Billy Graham noted, if America is to survive, we must elect more God-centered men and women to public office, individuals who will seek divine guidance in the affairs of state. Well, I think most of us would agree with that if we're professing Christians. The problem with that is, as Don Hodell and Randy Tate said, heading up the Christian Coalition uh, right about the same period of time, they said, America, if we were to fill every political office with born-again Christians, America still wouldn't change. America will only change if the hearts of the people change. So the heart of the country, the heart of the matter is our hearts. And our hearts have to be connected in reality with our godly heritage or we're doomed. But if we can restore, if we can restore that godly heritage in reality, not just as a memory, see, Heritage is not something to worship in pride, but to honor in humility. And if we can restore that heritage in the reality of our lives so that we're not living hypocritical, then we have hope for the future. If there was ever a time when we need to come to grips with God's call for repentance, it's today. The heritage of the past provides hope for the future only when it is lived out in truth from our hearts right now in the present. So I'm going to ask you a question as we wrap up here today on the program. How secure is America's hope based upon living out our heritage through your heart and home today. How secure is America's hope 
based upon living out our heritage through your heart and home today. Don't answer too quickly because it's not just about what we say we believe. It's how we live. It's whether or not our life reveals the reality of a godly heritage today. So, as the scripture says, as God says several times to his people throughout the word of God, he says, today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your heart. Today. You see, today was tomorrow yesterday. How many more tomorrows do we have? Let's suppose that we're looking, as it would appear we are, to a massive, massive move toward eliminating the so-called democracy of America and compelling her to be assimilated into a one-world government. Then what happened to all that democratic talk? Changes a lot, doesn't it? So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we should not harden our hearts. Today is the day we need to repent. Today is the day we need to go before the Lord, every single one of us, and ask him a rhetorical question that we have to answer ourselves in a sense. What about my life, Lord? What is it about my life? my values, my choices, my hopes, my uh, expectations, the way I I raise my children, the way my wife and I operate, my, my hopes, my expectations. Am I seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness? Or am I seeking my kingdom first? Or am I seeking first the kingdom of America? You see, that's idolatry. The purpose for restoring our heritage in our lives is not so that we can proudly engage in lifting up our godly heritage in an idolatrous way. No, it's so that we can be and become the people, we the people that God wants us to be and become. And it all begins with you and with me. So get a copy of the encouraging book, Renewing the Soul of America. It's a $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org.